Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Another year and more podcast episodes. Hi, everyone. This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to It's It's the Mystery Mystery for Me. Happy New Year, everyone. And welcome back to It's the Mystery for Me. I hope you guys brought in the new year in a safe way, a fun way. Where you lit, where you turn. Is that the same thing? I don't know. I think so. (laughs) I know I was. Wait, no, I wasn't. No, you weren't. I was. I was turned. And we were just like hysterically laughing, though, for such a long period of time. It's like that kind of laughter where like you literally can't stop laughing like your face hurts, you can't breathe. I love that kind of laughing. Yeah. My mom was looking at us like we were like insane. <laughs> but we were just laughing. I don't even remember what it was about. I don't even know, just weird. Every other stuff. word was so hysterical that we would just start laughing. Mhm. I love those moments. But anyways, we're looking forward to 2023. And we do realize that this podcast focuses on telling very morbid stories, but our hope is that these stories will reach the appropriate platforms and ears that it needs to reach, especially for our unsolved cases so that they can eventually be solved and families can find justice in all of this. So yes, we're going to continue to bring you guys stories and we're also going to like tap into our investigative journalist skills that we may or may not have but (laughs) (laughs) but we trying y'all we trying and there's one case in particular that i've been trying to follow closely it's not a case that any podcast has covered that any tv show has covered so i am really like going in the trenches for y'all you feel me in terms of the information there's no information so i'm out here and i'm just looking and i'm talking to people and One of the voicemails I got recently was from a homicide department. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly gives me chills. They called me and they're like, Priscilla, this is Sergeant so-and-so from the homicide department, blah, blah, blah. I heard that you called us and I'd like to. And it's just like the the word homicide, right? The fact that it's a sergeant calling my phone, y'all. I was like, I didn't do it. Whatever he said, I did. I didn't do it. But, you know, they were calling me in response to a case I was looking into. So, um, so I definitely am going to continue to look into that case and I'm hoping to bring you guys an episode of that in the earlier part of 2023. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And we gonna roll with it. We gonna roll with it. Yeah. We'll be sure to keep you guys in the loop about these things. And for more information, you can always check out our website. It's themysteryforme.com or our social media, specifically Instagram page, which is called what? It's the mystery for me, right? Yeah. What else would it be called? (laughs) I don't know, because our Twitter page is called mystery for me. Why? Because it wasn't long enough. And I think it might be like a number four. I mean, it was um, it was too long. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) Norma, you cracked me up. All right. 
And without further ado, Norma, take it away. For today's episode, I watched a show called Murder in the Heartland. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. And it's on ID Discovery. I also read a few articles, Daily Journal, an Investigation Discovery article, etc. Um, looked through different websites, and of course, Court of Appeals documents. You love those Court of Appeals documents. It's a lawyer. It's the baby me. lawyer. Yeah. Baby almost lawyer. Yeah. For more information on today's sources, you can go to our show notes and click on the link right underneath them, or just go to our website, it's themysteryforme.com. That being said, let's get into today's episode. This story takes us back to June 2014 in Kankakee, Illinois. This is the story of Sarah Washington. So I couldn't find a date of birth or a place of birth for Sarah, but it does appear that Sarah did grow up or lived a good portion of her younger life in Kankakee, Illinois. And in 2014, she was 25 years old. Uh Her family describes her as, well, specifically her father describes her as being very family oriented. And her brother said that she had a very strong faith. She also had a very strong bond with her mom. Her mom was basically her best friend. They did everything together. She had a best friend, Alyssa, which I was like, oh, I have a best friend, Alyssa. So true. Um, That she met when she was 15 years old. Like you. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Wow, okay, yeah. So her best friend, Alyssa, basically said that Mm -hmm. this is a friendship that you come across only once in a lifetime. That's how I feel about Julie. And like a lot of my friends, actually. A few different people that I can think of as, like, once-in-a-lifetime bond. Just random thoughts. <laughs> At the time, Sarah was working as a CNA, which, if you don't know, that's a certified nursing assistant. Mm-hmm. And this was perfect for her because she really enjoyed working with people and taking care of people. And aside from, you know, being a great friend, being a great sister, daughter... She really wanted to be a model, but ironically, when she was younger, she actually really struggled with self-confidence and her identity. Thankfully, Sarah had pretty amazing people in her corner, like her amazing mother, Kathy, who reminded her of her beauty, and eventually she overcame those insecurities that she had. And she did end up signing a modeling agency contract, but I, I couldn't find any information as to the exact agency. So I don't know about that, but either way, this was a huge accomplishment for Sarah. And that was pretty much all the background information that I gathered about Sarah Washington. Let's actually move forward to the day that pretty much changed everything, which was June 26, 2014. So on this day, Sarah's neighbor, Therese Harris, she she lives underneath Sarah and she heard what sounded like a pop at around 1.30 p.m. She goes to the window. She doesn't see anything. She doesn't see anyone. She doesn't hear anything else. So she just pretty much, she goes about her day. Doesn't think anything of it. Earlier that morning, Sarah was out running errands with her mom, Kathy. Like I said, they were very close. But she did end up coming back home at around 11.50 a.m. So later that night, Sarah was scheduled to work the night shift as a CNA. And her mom was planning on picking her up at 4.30 p.m. that same day. So mind you, she saw her in the morning. She's returning in the afternoon to pick her up to take her to work. So 4.30 comes around and Kathy's honking. Sarah's not coming down. So Kathy thought that it was weird that Sarah was not responding to her. So she decided to go inside 
and she noticed that the door was unlocked so she just walked right in nothing was out of place she's still calling for sarah's name she goes into sarah's bedroom and she sees sarah leaning against the wall on the floor so she's still saying like sarah come on like let's get like get up we gotta go you're gonna run late to work and there's no response so she thinks at this point does sarah fall out of bed is she sleeping which I thought, oh, okay, like, that's your reaction. I don't know, but, like, she's not freaking out is what I mean. Well, maybe okay? there's no blood or anything. It just looks like she's just... Mm. I don't know. If I, came, if I came in the room and saw you sitting against the wall, I would be like, did she fall out of bed trying to get to okay. Momo? Okay. <laughs> I would be... No, but I also would just be like, this is weird. Yeah. So she walks over to her and she's saying, Sarah, she touches her face and she notices that her face is very cold. Oh no. So she lifts like her, she tilts her head up and she sees what no parent wants to see. What? She saw a bullet hole in between her eyes. Oh no. So at this point, she is freaking out. She's shouting for the neighbor, Treese. And at some point, it's it's unclear who called 911, but someone called 911. And officers and paramedics, they arrived at the scene. Mm-mm. When they arrive, Kathy is still very much distraught. She's crying. She's pointing for them to go upstairs. Sarah's father on the show, he said that he wishes that it was him that found Sarah, that it was not the mom. And he was very emotional saying this. He just felt like no parent should have to lose a child, right? But a mother who gives birth to a child should not have to see their child in that state. Mm. I feel like there's this perception that men are just stronger to handle things like this mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. women. And it's one of the stereotypes that I kind of agree with. Where oh. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I was expecting you to you say thought, that. No, like, and I'm not into, like, those gender-based stuff. Like, I'm not <laughs> saying women can't be strong, but I just feel like there's this narrative that black women are so strong and, like, you have to mm-hmm. put on a tough face but like sometimes you're not strong Mm -hmm. i don't know like you you're gonna push yourself to do it but i just think that like yes if you have a man in your life who can do that i'd probably let the man do it but i'm also an alpha female so i probably would do it with them but yeah i don't know y'all i don't (laughs) i don't know i think it's a tough situation though and it's like it's gonna stay in your mind Mm -hmm. but i think the other side of it is Sometimes you need to see it for yourself for it to be true. Does that make sense? Like when I have gone to funerals and I've seen people laying there, I'm able to say, okay, they're gone. Mm -hmm. They're not here anymore. When I've gone to funerals and the casket has been closed, I have this like question mark. Yeah. I am a conspiracy theorist sometimes. Not over like weird, like some people really get in the nitty gritty and go down a Reddit rabbit hole. No, not like that. But for me, it's more so, like, I just need that confirmation. I don't know. Everybody's different, though, so. Okay. So um, officers from the Kankakee Police Department said that it didn't look like forced entry. Okay. Um, Nothing was out of place. They found Sarah's purse on her bed. It It was pretty much untouched. Her license was still there. Her credit card was there. Her cell phone was still there. There was money on the floor of her bedroom. So clearly this was not a robbery. They also said that the two gunshots to her head, yes, there were two, was execution style. Excuse me? There were two? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. 
There was a pillow on her lap that had blood. And there was a pillow on the bed that had blood and bullet holes, which is why I was confused why her mom, when her mom walked into the room, she didn't freak out immediately. Like, I don't know. Maybe she didn't really see it. She just didn't really, yeah. I mean, sometimes your eyes pick up things like that it wants to kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like you're looking for your keys. It might be right in front of you, but something else has caught your eye. Sure. Does that make sense? So, I don't know. It's possible. But wow, yeah. the pillows make me think like, immediately, you know, when you said the neighbor heard a pop sound, mm-hmm. you know, a gun is going to sound way louder than that. So maybe they were trying to muffle the That's gun. That's oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They never said that specifically on the show, um, Murder in Heartland, but that was literally what I was thinking. They were trying to muffle the sound of the gunshot right so what they would do is put a pillow in front of the gun so when they're shooting it's not gonna make as loud of a sound Mm -hmm. versus i mean if they had a silencer of course i i just feel like this is a makeshift silencer basically Mm -hmm. they also found a casing that belonged to a 380 automatic pistol and they also found um a hotel key but it was like an old brass key there was no hotel name on it it was just a room number on the key Mm. They later determined that she had passed away at around 1 p.m. So remember the neighbor, Therese, she she heard gunshots at around 1.30, but she could have just been off a little bit about the time, is what I'm saying. Or vice versa. They may have been a little bit off about the time of her death. Agreed. Another interesting thing is that they found male underwear in the bathroom. So now they're thinking... Okay, did someone come over? Did someone break in and assault her? But they're like, no, because this wasn't forced entry. So that's likely not the case. This was probably someone that she knew. Was it a boyfriend? So they're trying to piece together all this evidence that doesn't really make sense. And there's no DNA. There's no fingerprints. There's no gun. Mm. So they're just going based off of these small little details. The underwear, the Mm. hotel key um the casing right okay as the scene is still being investigated news of sarah's passing starts to spread quickly so her best friend Alyssa, she finds out because trice sarah's neighbor she calls her and tells her hey you have to come here something happened to sarah so she doesn't even really know what's going on at this point she arrives at the scene and she sees them wheeling out a body Mm. and when she sees this she actually passes out Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's horrific. And Jeremy, who is Sarah's brother, he finds out through Facebook. He's just randomly on Facebook. He's going through his timeline and he sees all of this like, RIP Sarah, RIP Sarah. My goodness. And he's like, what's going on? Then he starts getting private messages from people like, are you okay? Oh, my gosh. And he's like. See, what that wouldn't, you, you know what's interesting? It wouldn't be my first thought to reach out to, like, the family member. I don't know. I think I might let some time pass. Mm-hmm. Before yeah, I'm I wouldn't like, post before anything. Before I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Yeah. Like, you know, I just heard about Rob. Rob is my friend who passed away. I just heard about Rob. Are you okay? Like, that wasn't my first instinct because of that. Mm-hmm. You just never know if the people, if people know what happened. Something similar happened with um, Kobe Bryant's death. 
someone, I think it was like the family assistant came to the door around 1130 saying like, hey, there was a helicopter crash, like, and Kobe might be on that plane with Gigi. And she immediately started calling his phone and wasn't getting an answer. And then she reached out, I guess she started calling her mom saying, hey, can you watch them? Because I need to see what's going on. And at that point, her phone started blowing up with RIP Kobe, RIP, RIP, because TMZ had posted the story also at 1130. At the same time, her family assistant like came over and was like, wait, like, I think there's a crash. So that's how she knew that he was dead and that her daughter Gigi was also dead. So I think if, if anything, what we could all take away is if you hear about someone passing away, I would just let time pass before you say something to a family member. Because you just mm-hmm. never know if they know or not. Yeah, You just don't want to live with that after thinking, oh, shoot, I'm the one that told them that this happened to their family. Right. So. I agree. Mm-hmm. But Jeremy, Sarah's brother, was still not convinced that she had passed away. Mm. So he actually ended up calling their mother, Kathy, And Kathy was the one that confirmed that Sarah was gone. Oh, my gosh. And Kathy said that that was the hardest thing she ever had to do, was to break the news to Jeremy. Mm -mm. Wait, didn't someone text you one day saying, sorry that your mom passed away or something? Oh, my gosh. Yes, in college. That happened to me. Randomly, um, someone had texted me saying, hi, I I just heard about your the." passing of your mother i'm so sorry like i've heard really great things about her just like a really insanely long message just saying r.i.p to your mother my condolences holy moly and i freaked out i started calling mom's phone oh okay to be like is she alive and she she picked up and i was explaining to her like oh my gosh i just got this text message i don't know if i ever ended up texting the guy back I think you did. I think I, I did. I remember you telling me, like, you texted them and they were like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So they learned a lesson that day, right? Like, yeah. Because how does that happen? You just gotta oh be God. careful. So our lessons learned. <laughs> Check the number that you're texting and, and wait a few hours before you text that number. Yeah. Gotcha. Crazy. In response to Jeremy hearing about the sisters passing from their mother, Kathy, he said on the show, Murder in a Heartland, that we warned her time and time again. And I thought, okay, what exactly does Jeremy mean by this? What is he, what does he know that we don't know, right? Right. So perhaps a list of suspects will help to clarify who killed Sarah. Okay. So Sarah had a boyfriend at the time and his name is Greg Dismuke. Her family did not like Greg, okay? They greatly disliked him. And her father brought up the fact that Greg was a womanizer. Mm. And not only that, he f- was physically abusive towards Sarah. Oh, hell no. Every time I hear this, oh my gosh. It's like, these dudes need hands put on them. Mm-hmm. Like, there should be a law that says, like, yeah, you can beat them to a pulp within an inch of their life if they do one of these things. Abuse yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Abuse others, like, women. Okay. Mm-hmm. And just, like, abuse dogs or yeah. animals. That would be a great law. That would be great. Like, yeah. can we have a purge day that where it's like, you just go out with masks on, and you'd be like, come outside. It's time to get your ass beat. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. So Sarah actually met Greg through her friend Alyssa. Okay. And hmm. 
Greg was Alyssa's boyfriend's cousin. Alyssa mentioned that she didn't think that Sarah would actually go for someone like Greg. That she was really surprised that they they were official. She described Sarah and Greg's relationship as being really one-sided. Sarah would give so much of herself to the Mm. relationship and it just was not being reciprocated at all. Mm Mm-mm. Damn. But for whatever reason, Sarah could... She just couldn't let it go. She just couldn't let Greg go. And she would always go back and forth to him, even though he had women on the on the side. Okay. Oh. And it was known to her, but she just couldn't let this man go. Love really could do some crazy things to your mind. Mm-hmm. It really can. Like it's think scary. about like stuff you've been through, y'all, and like the fact that you would never go through it now. Why? Because you're wiser, right? But like when I hear stories like this, it's like, you know. I look at it through a different lens. The lens of being young and in love versus being older and wiser. Yeah. So. I agree. Sorry, Sarah. That she had to be going through this with this man. Like, he didn't deserve you. And I'm not even, I don't even know if he's a killer yet, but I'm just saying, like, he does not deserve you. Any guy that makes you just question, like, whether or not they are committed to you, how they feel about you. You need to just walk away because they all spin the block. I repeat, they all spin the block. Amen. <laughs> and when they do, it's like, it's so nice to see the tables turn. You'd be like, oh, it's you again. Yeah. <laughs> mm, interesting. So mm. just avoid those kinds of people and just understand that someone who really loves you is not going to treat you in that way. I agree. So on the day of Sarah's passing, Greg never showed up to the scene. He, Excuse me? Nope. He didn't contact her mother. Nothing. He wouldn't even answer phone calls from the Kankakee Police Department. But he knew she had died. Yes. How'd he find out? You know? So I'll get more into that. But he found out because his friend called him. Gotcha. About nine hours into the investigation... Officers determine that he is their prime suspect. It's unclear when, if it's, you know, a few hours, a few days later, he does finally come to the police station and he comes to clear his name. He did seem to be visibly upset. They said that he looked as though he had been crying beforehand. An interesting thing is that Greg confirmed that the underwear that they found was his. Okay. He said, yeah, that's my underwear. I spent the night with Sarah And I had left her apartment that morning. The day before, she worked a night shift. But that morning, she was nice enough to get him breakfast. Something that he clearly did not deserve. Right. At some point that morning, he did go to Chicago. So I I was wondering, how far is Chicago from Kankakee? And it's an hour drive. Hmm. He didn't get back to Kankakee until 4 p.m. that day. He's telling them, I would never do anything to hurt Sarah. I love her. You love her, but you're out here for the streets? How does that work? I don't know. I, I'll never understand that. The math isn't mathing with that one. But there are plenty of people, especially men, who will say that. And then it's just like, but if someone loves you, they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So they also bring up the hotel key that they found in her bedroom Mm -hmm. and they're pushing him on is this your key and he said no that has nothing to do with me and sure i have chicks on the side but that hotel key does not belong to me i've never seen it before Hmm. at the end of this interview they don't have enough to charge him so he's released 
But before the interview ends, he mentions that at 9 a.m. on the day of Sarah's passing, that's June 26, 2014, that some guy by the name of Rex Frank stopped by and he had a quick conversation with him and Rex had asked him for money and a gun. So now we're going to get into who exactly is Rex Frank. Wait a minute. He came to Sarah's apartment? Mm Mm-hmm. And he spoke to her boyfriend? Yeah. About a gun? Yeah. And money? Yes. At 9 a.m. So at this point, Sarah was not home. Remember, she was out running errands with her mom? Yeah. Like, she was was able to drop off breakfast to Greg, right? And at some point, she left at around that time to go run errands with her mom. She didn't get back to her apartment until around 11.50 a.m. Okay. Huh. But now cops are wondering, okay, like who is Rex Frank? So according to some articles that I looked into, Rex was friends with Greg. On the show Murder in the Heartland, a mutual friend that they have by the name of Kashana Roberts, she comes onto the show and she says like, okay, yeah, I know Rex, I know Greg, and I know Sarah. Because I used to host parties and they would come to the parties. So that's how I know them. Sarah would sometimes come to parties, but for the most part, it was really Rex and Greg that came to these parties. And she noticed that Rex would tag along with Greg because he really wanted to be like Greg. He liked that Greg was a ladies man. He wanted to be down with the ladies too. Like he admired Greg in a lot of ways. And the way that Kashana pointed it out is... Greg was far from a role model. Okay. Yeah, he was a loser. He, yeah, she was like, he's a cheater, he's a liar, and he's just a horrible person. Yeah. I was like, well, damn. Damn. <laughs> so on the day that Sarah was murdered, Kashana got a call from Rex. And Rex apparently told Kashana that there's a crime scene at Sarah's house and it looks like a murder because he saw yellow caution tape. Yellow caution tape doesn't always mean murder, though. Right. So it's just kind of like, why is he even seeing that? It could mean like a pole or a tree fell, you know? (laughs) No, really, it can. No, but yeah, no, you're right. But I mean, it's a yellow caution tape. There's tons of cops. There's paramedics. There's people gathered outside. Okay, so an assessment. Okay, I can see how he can make an assessment. Yeah. So at some point, Rex also goes to the police to clear his name. And this definitely happens after Greg went to police first. Okay. Because right? now they got Rex's name. Gotcha. Detective Hunter and Sergeant Zing, they describe Rex as being willing to speak. He's genuine, but that he kind of was trying to portray himself as a good guy. He's trying to portray himself as not being involved whatsoever and almost trying to pin it on Greg in a way hmm. to make it seem like Greg did it. I'm not involved. So at this point, police are wondering, do they both have something to do with Sarah's murder? When he was asked about what he was doing that morning, because Greg pointed out Rex dropped by at 9 a.m. at Sarah's apartment, he said, oh, yeah, like I did drop by Sarah's apartment around 9 a.m. to talk to Greg. I don't know to what extent he gave details about why he was there in terms of the gun and money. That comes up a little later on. But he did say, yeah, I saw Greg at around 9 a.m. And then I went straight home. So at this point, cops are like, we don't really have much here, right? So he's let go of. 
but the police would soon uncover a third suspect. Number three? Yeah. What? Okay. And his name is Kevin. Oh my goodness. So Sarah met Kevin at work at Riverside Hospital. Okay. And according to Alyssa, Sarah's best friend, Kevin was just a breath of fresh air. He was a really nice guy and Sarah seemed genuinely happy. Still, officers can't help but wonder, like, did Kevin find out about Sarah's relationship with Greg? Is it possible that this was just like a love triangle gone wrong? Hmm. Right? When Kevin is brought in and they're talking to him, he said that they had a very casual relationship. It was not like that at all. Mm. So insinuating like, no, like I wouldn't, why would I be jealous? Like it was not a serious relationship. Um, He also pointed out that he had never been to Sarah's apartment ever Mm. because they try to push the whole key thing onto him too. Like questioning like, is this your key for Hotel 220? And he's like, I haven't even been to her apartment, so I don't know anything about that. Mm -hmm. He also said that the last time that he spoke to Sarah was four days prior to her murder. Detectives pulled phone records. It showed that he talked to her two days prior to her murder. Well, maybe he was just really nervous and... Hmm. He just threw out whatever day he could think of. I don't know. But okay. that didn't matter because when detectives checked his alibi, he was, in fact, at work that day. Okay. So he's crossed off the list of suspects on July 1st, 2014. They're moving fast. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I think the reason why they're moving so fast here is because rumors are flying. Mm. Okay. Kankakee seems like it's a very small town. Well, it seems like everyone knows everybody, so... People are probably scared. People are scared, yeah. So it was an, it was an mm. added pressure to get this solved. So I think that that's why they're moving so quickly. But that's also really sad. It's just like, just do the job. Like, it shouldn't be like a motivation that people are freaking out to right. get something solved This should quickly. be the urgency that every case is approached with. Pretty yeah. Much. Yeah. So the very next day, July 2nd, 2014... The police went to numerous hotels in the area to try to narrow it down. Like, where did this room key 220 come from? And they get a hit. See, that's what I would have done, too. Is that what y'all would have done? Because I was thinking that. I'm like, you just got to go to hotels. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Okay, they get a hit. What is it? It's called Economy Inn. So I guess it's like a cheap hotel. And it was actually a hotel. Hotel or motel? They said it's an inn. So I don't know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But they seem, it it sounded like it was a cheap hotel. Okay. And Alyssa, Sarah's best friend, said that, oh, yeah, they know this hotel because there was one time where Sarah called Alyssa and was like, I think Greg is at this hotel and we got to find him. So there was (laughs) one night where they went knocking on each door until they were told to leave. Dang. Yeah, I don't know when this happened. I love that for them. I don't think I've ever done that. I've pulled up by myself. <laughs> Just spun the block really slow, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I don't think I've ever... Because I feel like no one would be down for my shenanigans. You would have been like, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> true. <laughs> it's true. My friends would have been down, but we just never did it. I feel like I'm missing... Like, see, now I have FOMO. <laughs> is that what it's called? FOMO? Fear of missing out? I feel like this is somebody, something I should have done. In my 20s. And now I'm kind of sad that I didn't do no. it. No. No. Don't wish that on yourself. I, I know, wouldn't wish I that on, on nobody. I'm kidding. No. It's a joke. It's a jokey <laughs> joke. 
I mean the adrenaline part, not the heartbreak part, because obviously the reason you're going there is because you don't trust your partner, right? Yeah. So it's like the looking for your partner, though, that sounds kind of adventurous. So I don't know. Sounds spicy. Yeah. Well, the detectives did go to this hotel and they were able to review their records of who stayed. Apparently, a young man, they were very vague in this description, but a young male had stayed in the hotel the night before. So that would have been on June 25th. Okay. They were actually able to get the name of this person. He's unnamed. But he did talk to police officers and he said he was there to meet a friend. And it turns out he had nothing to do with this case at all. So it was a dead end, basically, Mm. unfortunately. But did the room key... Okay, wait, it said a room number on it. Mm -hmm. And that young man happened to be staying in that room? Is that what happened? They weren't clear about... I was wondering that too. I was like, okay, did he stay in room 220? I don't... I don't think that was a case. They were just looking for someone who fit the description of Greg that night. And this person just happened to fit the description. I was wondering, like, how far back in the records did they go? Like, did they see Greg's name? Did he ever stay in room 220? Right? Right. But they didn't. They did not go into those details. And why were they so curious about it? I guess because the key was laying next to her. Yeah. But I keep hotel room keys all the time. If you go to my house, you'll find one from, like, Italy. And one from, like, That's Aruba. True. And one from this and that. But, like, it's not a physical key, right? It's, like, a key card. But I, I keep a lot of them, whether I want to or not. Like, my mm-hmm. house just be messy. And <laughs> Norma cleans it up anytime she comes over. Um, but, yeah, like, I just think that, like, it's common to have room keys. It is yeah. weird that it is a physical key. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, it could have just fell off her dresser or something. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they thought, like, the key was linked to a murderer, but just because you have a key, it doesn't mean that you committed the murder. Like, yeah, I was just trying to figure out that, too. And I think that they were just trying to check off all the boxes. Gotcha. Do their jobs, basically. Yeah. So on July 5th, 2014, another tragedy strikes the community. A 36-year-old by the name of Rion Maiden was murdered, and he was shot twice in what appeared to be a robbery. Okay. So police officers at this point, they don't have a lead in Sarah's case. They're wondering if the two cases are linked just because, you know, the two shots to the head. And it was within nine days of Sarah's passing. Yeah. So pretty close in time. But still, they're trying to figure that out. And it's a little bit of a dead end there, too. There's not really much that they find there. But the community is now really in a frenzy because they're like, oh my gosh, like, what's going on? Is this a serial killer? Hmm. And then three days later, on July 8th, there's a break in the case. And by the case, I mean Sarah's case. So Kashana, remember I was talking about that mutual friend between Greg, Rex, and Sarah? Right. She calls the police and she tells them that Rex called her that day, the day of Sarah's murder. Okay. To tell her, like, hey, I think Sarah was murdered. Because I see this, I see all the yellow caution tape. Wait a minute. We talked about this already earlier on, but it was yeah. just her sharing that he said that. So yeah. now you're saying like, she's actually telling the cops she's, this. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. All right. So I don't know if detectives put Kashana up to this to like call Rex to clarify certain things. I don't know if like their conversation is recorded is what I mean. Okay. But Kashana calls Rex and she's asking him, Hey, so you remember like back June 26, back a few weeks ago, um, how you said that you went over to Sarah and Greg's house and he's like, what are you talking about? 
I don't I don't know Sarah. What are you even saying? He said he don't know Sarah. Yes. But wasn't he already at the police station talking about like Yeah. So which, what is he I don't like I literally don't understand that. This makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Not only is he a loser, he's stupid too. So we're very yeah. this is very scary, y'all. Very yeah. scary. Very strange. What? Like what? When she said that, I was like, he already went to the cops to clear his name. I can't. Yeah. Hmm. So he's trying to beat around the bush, but like, like what? There's no bush to beat around. Oh my God. (laughs) This is too much. Then a tip comes in from an eyewitness who remained on name, but they basically saw a man come into a Dairy Queen on the day that Sarah was murdered around 2.30 p.m. And... She said that she recognized him as being Rex. And I think it's because, remember, it's like a small community. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, maybe you don't know the person's name, but like, oh, he looks familiar kind of thing. So the cops obviously go to the Dairy Queen. They get security footage. And long and behold, it is Rex Frank. Okay. Remember how he told cops like, oh, yeah, I went to Sierra's apartment to talk to Greg at 9 a.m. And then I went straight home. Right. Well, you didn't. Because you went, you went to Dairy Queen. So what at happened with that at 2.30 Which is PM. so weird. Exactly. So clearly he lied. Well, he went home. He's going to be like, well, I told y'all I did go home. I did. Yeah. So I just happened to end up at Dairy Queen a few hours later. Mm-hmm. And I guess the Dairy Queen is close to her house. Um, They weren't specific as to like where it was located. On July 11th, 2014, Rex is brought in for a second interview. So at this point, he does admit to going to Dairy Queen. He was very nonchalant about that factor of him not being completely honest about going home at 9 a.m. and like not leaving his house. After, right. After, he's just like, okay, like what's the big deal? Kind of like, I went to Dairy Queen, so what? He did say though that he did end up going back to the apartment to talk with Greg. So this was after 9 a.m. He went back a second time. And he conveniently left that part out. Yeah. So I found this in a Court of Appeals document um, that he went back to Sarah's apartment at around 1230. But Greg was not home. Okay. Sarah was home. But apparently Rex knew that Greg had some sort of side business going on. It seemed like a scam, like some sort of cell phone scam. Okay. And Greg had asked Rex if he wanted to be part of it. And so he was, he said that he was coming back to the apartment to be like, Hey, I'm down. Like I want to, I'm, I'm in on this business with you, but he wasn't there. And then out of the blue, Rex confesses to the murder, except it was not the murder of Sarah Washington that he was confessing to. What? It was the murder of Rian Maiden. What? Yes. Remember how I yes. said that 36-year-old randomly was found dead in his home? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He said that he shot Rian, and basically, Rian was begging for his life, telling him to, like, take the car, I'll give you the PIN number. Well, he, he got Rian's PIN number, mm-hmm. and he did, in fact, withdraw $500 from the ATM. Okay. But before he did that, he shot and killed him. Oh, what a coward. So he took the $500 and apparently he bought flowers and he bought a ring and he went to, he went home to his girlfriend. 
Okay, so he is a loser, stupid, and a sociopath is what we have established about Rex. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, what? Like, you just killed somebody. You just went home with flowers? That is so bizarre. Yeah. So he is immediately arrested for the murder of Rion. And at this time, Rex is only 21 years old. My goodness. So young and so stupid. But if you saw, honestly, where's my phone? If you saw a picture of of his mugshot, he has crazy eyes. Let me see. I got to see it for myself. Yeah. He really does. This is not even the picture I'm talking about. In another picture, he's smiling, though. Yeah, he does look like he got crazy eyes. He sure does. So I know you're probably wondering, okay, what about Sarah's case? So as to Sarah's murder, they do go back to Greg. So they go back to square one. He was a primary suspect in that case. And he's actually cleared. Remember on that day, June 26, 2014, he did end up going to Chicago. Right. And it was true because the GPS, when they checked all the data, like he was actually in Chicago, his cell phone data. And they were also able to talk to two witnesses who place him in Chicago. Okay. So he was officially cleared. Then the Illinois State Police Crime Lab revealed some really crucial information. They said that the casing that was found by Sarah's body was a match to the casing that was found by Rion Maiden's body. Oh my goodness. I knew it. Rex was charged with Rion's murder right there and then in 2014, right? And it goes to trial in 2015. He's not officially charged with Sarah's murder until 2016. So in July 2015, he pleads guilty but mentally ill. Oh, okay. So he's about to use a defense that he was not all the way there. Yes. Okay. The reason why he was trying to use this defense of guilty but mentally insane is because he said that he was suffering from PTSD at the time that he committed specifically Rian's murder. Okay. That he actually prior to this was involved in a robbery where he was a victim and he shot and killed an 18 year old in self-defense Okay, and that he was suffering from PTSD at the time. So then you've killed someone else in a robbery? Right. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't. Hmm. That was a reasoning behind him asserting that defense of guilty, but insane. It's not the first time I've heard someone say something like that, but it's not in the murder context. It might be like in the abuse context where it's like, Someone abused me. They were, I don't know, male. So when I got older, I wanted to be in control. So I started to be like uh, an escort where I have, and I work with men who are submissive. You know Mm -hmm, what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I've heard people say that. Right. So it's not like completely far-fetched, but I don't, I don't know. When you throw murder in the mix, I think like anything is like, it's a little much, you know? Yeah. And he's, Still sentenced to 45 years in prison. For Sarah's. For No, this is for Rion's murder. Okay. Now let's get back to Sarah's case. Um, so it was not until April 15, 2016 that Rex Frank was charged with first degree murder for Sarah Washington. Okay. And it would take three more years before that case went to trial. So that case went to trial on March 4th, 2019. And basically what the defense was running with is that there's no evidence in this case right there was no dna Mm. there was no gun that was ever found 
There's no fingerprints. And they try to blame it on Greg. They try to make it seem that Greg was the killer. Okay. Mm. He is a bad guy. Look at his, he has horrible reputation. <laughs> like no one has anything good to say about Greg. If anything, like he has motive to, to kill her. Like why would our client have motive to kill her? They really took that and try to use it to their advantage. And Greg also had a criminal record. I try to like look more into Greg and I couldn't find anything on him though. I don't know. It's hard finding it's hard. criminal records and yeah. convictions of people online, to be honest. Yeah. Um, every state differs. Every, like, county within that differs. So it can get a little tricky. Yeah. But at trial, Greg testified, actually. He was a prosecution's witness. He said that Frank did come over that day on June 26, 2014, to talk to him and get a gun from him and ask for money. So he confirmed that. He also testified that he was driving to Chicago to pick up iPhones to sell because it was like a whole, I don't know, scamming situation. Rex had called him to, to tell him like, hey, I I want in on this. So I think Rex called him after he went to the apartment and noticed that he wasn't there. Right. To, to, to basically say like, hey, you weren't home. I want to see you. You're not there, but I'm just letting you know like I'm in on this. And he was asking him like, oh, like when are you coming back? And he said... Well, I'm in Chicago. I'll probably be back around 4 p.m. He then goes on to say that later on that day that Rex called him to tell him that he thinks that something happened to Sarah. So the same phone call that he, in the same way that he called Kashana earlier, right? It was the same phone call that he made to Greg to be like, hey, I'm outside of Sarah's apartment. It looks bad. I think she was murdered. He got the same phone call. That's okay. Very strange. Mm -hmm. The defense did bring up his criminal history and they said Greg's criminal history and basically said, well, you were violent towards Miss Washington. And isn't it true that you beat her? Uh Uh-oh. Is it true? And he basically responded by saying, you got any evidence? Oh, uh-oh. So I was like, Wow. Um, well, and clearly I quote, they did. If they, yeah, well, they must have had something. I would think that they would have something. They probably have a police report. So, and I quote uh, that the defense attorney said this. So you're telling us you didn't hit her with a bat, strangle her, and punch her in the face? Excuse me. And then Greg re- responds, "It's not true. How is it not true?" <laughs> but that's all I had. Like that little snippet of the trial transcript. transcript. Uh, on a website it's like there's really really dark qualities to greg that makes you wonder hmm is he capable of this either way the jury felt that rex was guilty and they convicted him of murder and then he was later sentenced to life in prison on july 19 2019 Mm. for the murder of sarah so in illinois the murder statute states that if a defendant kills more than one person, it's an automatic life sentence. Okay. So that's what ended up happening. Gotcha. Um, at his sentencing, Judge Clark Erickson said, Frank, you are a cold-blooded killer. I sentence you to natural life in prison. You will never have a chance for parole, and you will die in prison. You deserve it. Ooh. So there must have been, like, very strong evidence against him. Even though I understand, like, there was not really too much physical evidence, the circumstantial must have been enough for the jury to say yes. It's kind of like in the Mm -hmm. Megan Thee Stallion case where everybody, like, has different 
you know, points of view. True. Or whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, 12 jurors all agreed. They pulled the jury. And every single one of them said that Tori was guilty. So there are things that we don't know that the press didn't tell us, right? Because Megan's trial was not televised. Um, there's things we were not able to see, whether it's jury expression or Tory's expression, the judge's expression, what the attorneys were saying or doing. Mm-hmm. We just got whatever the journalists were able to articulate in an article. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have all of the information. The jury likely did, right? Not saying jury is always right, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's most, I feel like it's usually the case that they're more right than they're wrong. Right. I don't know. That's just been what I've seen. Um, so for them to find him guilty, like, you know, they must have seen, you know what, for them, it must have been enough that he lied a few times, right, about, like, where he was. Um, mm-hmm. He also placed himself back at the apartment around the time that she dies. Yeah. Um, he tells them that he was there looking for a gun, so he puts a weapon in, in his own hand. Yeah. So it's like he did it to himself, basically. Yeah. So I don't think, like, personally that Greg... I don't know if I could say Greg did it because Greg did give him a gun, right? Did he? When he came to the door, did he end up giving him the gun? That's unclear. See? that's That's what I want to know. Did Greg give him the gun? Because at that point, you could argue that, like, Either the ME's time of death is off and Greg did it, right? And then he hands off the gun, the same gun that, that he then goes on to use and kills that other guy. Mm. You could say that, yeah. right? Especially because of the bat to the face or whatever they're saying. Yeah. Strangling, yeah. So it then wouldn't be so far-fetched, but I don't know about the gun part. So there must have been something, you know, the jury must have heard different evidence and yeah. felt with their entire being that there was no reasonable doubt in the case and that that dude Rex was guilty, so. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. In 2021, Rex did appeal his case and he said that the prosecution used the evidence from the Rion Maiden's case, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But what he was saying in his appeal is even though you're bringing this in for another reason to show, like, motive and identification of me is still prejudicial so it should not have come in mm. so that's what his appeal was saying so it should have failed under 403 yeah rule 403 <laughs> it should have been inadmissible because it would have failed that test right um okay. but the the court did not agree with that and so they affirmed his you know they affirmed his sentence and he's still currently serving his life sentence out at menard correctional center in randolph county illinois interesting and you know what evidence rules are just so tricky it's like a puzzle because i really do think that that was part of the piece of evidence that sealed his fate yeah right the Mm -hmm. fact that they were able to say he killed this guy Mm -hmm. with the same gun yeah right yeah so like if the prosecution was not able to bring it in how would you then argue it you know what i mean then it could be a little bit more of like a question mark despite him putting himself at the scene and stuff like that Mm -hmm. they would not be able to say that to the jury oh yeah but this was damaging evidence basically very like, this da- was very damaging this That's sealed why, the deal this is why character evidence has so many rules around it because they are afraid of people even though you're bringing it in for another reason people mm-hmm. still hanging on to the propensity argument which means like if this person did A, they definitely did B mm-hmm. that's what propensity means Yeah, so you did even, that crime, so you did this crime yeah too. like 
it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the point of the evidence rule is that, like, for that reason, because they don't want you to think in that propensity way, they're going to make it harder for someone to bring in that kind of evidence against you unless they can show that they're bringing it in to show motive. They're showing opportunity. They're showing yeah. a pattern. Like, yeah. it has to fit into another category in order in order. It has to fit into another category in order for it to come in. Yeah. But even if it comes in. And even with limiting instructions, too, because they had that. And he felt like, no, like it's still prejudicial. They're still going to use it in this way. You see that I did do this because I did crime A. They're going to say I did crime B regardless. The way I see limiting instructions as is like, is basically reminding the jury of how they're not supposed to use the evidence. Like, But then you end up using the evidence in that you, way. Yeah, they're, they probably sent them an, a limiting instruction that says, even though it might seem like we're showing this mm-hmm. evidence to say he did crime A, so he definitely did crime B. Well, in this case, it was crime B and then crime A. Mm-hmm. He did crime B, so he definitely did crime A. That's not what we want you guys to use it for. We want you guys to use it for pattern. Did this evidence show pattern? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like... You're dealing with 12 different minds, so how they interpret that evidence is up to them, yeah. really, at the end of the day. Um, so, evidence, very tricky. <laughs> yeah, so, um, as to how her family and her friends are coping yes. with all of this, um, her mom is still having a very difficult time with this. She's actually in the process of, well, according to Murder in the Heartland, and that episode aired in, I think, May 2022. Oh, very recent. Yeah, it was very recent. At that point, she was writing a novel about a a young girl who was murdered and how her family is coping with it. So basically, a story of her life, what she's going through right now. And she said it has been very, like, healing in terms of her grieving. But she does have her moments where she's just very sad because she thinks of, like, the good times. And she just obviously wishes that Sarah was still here. Yeah. Her brother, um, he says that, Pretty much he understands that life is not a guarantee, you know, and just it's difficult for him to get up and just push himself to do things with Sarah being gone. But he somehow has a courage to just keep pulling through. And I think he he does it for her. Sarah's neighbor, downstairs neighbor, Therese, she still lives in the same house. She has not Mm -hmm. moved. And I think... Sarah is basically still keeping her there. At least that's what she alluded to. And she said that Sarah is her guardian angel. Hmm. And then Sarah's best friend, Alyssa, obviously was very, very difficult then and still difficult now. She says that the one thing that comforts her is the fact that Sarah's faith was so strong. And she always said, it's not up to us, it's up to God. So she's able to like push forward because of that, you know, thinking like this is all, you know, God's plan basically. But obviously she's still very sad. She's thankful for the opportunity to have known Sarah for for 10 years from the age of 15 to 25. Right. And to have had this best friend. But she knows like this is a once in a lifetime and she'll never have anything like this again. I hope so. she, I hope that she can find a friend yeah you know like that kind of friendship i know it's not easily replicated yeah but i hope that she does find a best friend and that's the case of sarah washington and that's our first case of 2023 
And we definitely have more stories to tell you guys in that regard. So tune in next Tuesday for another episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Stay safe out there. Keep your head on a swivel. Bye.